Good morning. I um, am, well, not right now, I'm on summer break. <laughs> But normally, I'm a teacher, and my very favorite part of class is not the first day because nobody's misbehaving, I call it. Everybody's sitting still at the desk. But my favorite part is to walk in near the end of the semester when everyone's gotten to know each other, and they all have a mutual enemy, whether it's me or the subject, and they're all buzzing around the room talking to each other and comparing notes and prepping. And it's, I get that same delight watching you guys say hi to each other on Sunday mornings and kind of reconnect. And I think if I wasn't such an eight, I would feel bad making you all stop and sit down. <laughs> but I have things to say. <laughs> so good morning. Um, I was sort of selfishly praying that more people would be out celebrating Memorial Day. <laughs> I, was, I woke up and I'm like, well, at least this Sunday, not too many people will be here. Um, I've been watching too much stand-up comedy on Netflix since I've been out of school and I'm waiting for you guys to all laugh. Holy cow. Anyway, um, I really, I forget all that. Uh, I was wishing that more people would be gone. I'm glad you're all here though. And those of you who are online, congratulations for being here. But get outside and do Memorial Day. Um, this week has been a crazy week, has it not? I was talking to some people to get ready for today, and I was amazed at the range of emotions people were expressing. I think Phil hit them beautifully in his lament that he read with us. Um, some people angry, some people scared, some people numb. I'm like, I don't know if I can take one more thing. I can feel it for a second, and then I kind of flatline, and then I can feel it for a second again, and then I kind of flatline. Uh, have I missed any? Sad? Just sad. Uh, distracted? Maybe? A little bit? I'm not seeing the nods. Which, are you guys all just numb? No, all of them? Yeah. I'm actually kind of, um, I find it interesting that we're talking about this on Memorial Day weekend for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons, and we'll talk about this at the very end, as I was preparing for my sermon, I was talking to um, a member of my family, Zach. He's uh, studying to be a Catholic priest. We, we call him our adopted son. He's not quite officially adopted, and he's not quite our son, but that's who he is to us. And so uh, I got up at 3 o'clock this morning to take him to the airport because that's what moms do. And um, he was mentioning that in the Catholic Church, this is Ascension Day. It's the day 40 days after Easter when Christ rises and goes up into heaven. And I was like, oh, what a beautiful picture for us today. What a beautiful memory. We'll talk about that uh, again in a minute. But let's cling to that through the whole talk. The other thing that goes on on Memorial Day is traditionally, this is my experience, we're kind of in that limbo between, 
oh yeah, we're supposed to remember. And we're supposed to remember, everything we're supposed to remember is hard, like the sacrifice and the wars and the, these men and women and families that stood up for something bigger than themselves, something that they believed in, something that I can't even fathom. And yet we have people in our own communities who have sacrificed and been willing to sacrifice the same thing. Our veterans, our, you know, we have all of, all of these uh, just momentous and yet momentously difficult things in our history that we get to remember. On the other hand, it's like almost the first day of summer sort of in our brains, like it's coming. We were talking about June 12th. Since we moved to the Pacific Northwest, I recognize that summer doesn't really start till July 4th, so I get that. But it feels inside like it's coming, it's supposed to be coming. We have this day off to remind ourselves that we're almost out of this gloom that's called winter and we have this whole day to... I, since moving here, I've met people who actually still camp in May in the Pacific Northwest. I refuse. Memorial Day is not about camping here. It's too cold, but some of you guys do. My husband's out learning how to raft the White Salmon River so he can be a raft guide. <laughs> Sorry, one woman's like, <laughs> amen, burr, but how cool. And there are so many families that are, have plans in the next couple of days, either today or tomorrow, to get together. and. Traditionally, we think of cookouts or just kind of this escape and this time to be with those we love and, again, to remember that there are things bigger and more valuable than just us. And there's a whole book of scripture that talks about this, where we see uh, the things that remind us that there is so much out there that is greater than us. Now, some of those things are horrific, and some of those things are wonderful, and some of those things are uncertain, and some of those things are very secure. You could just count on them. Some of those things are painful, and some of those things are awesome. In other words, it's life. And there's this poem that I want to read to you that tries to capture all of these different, these different images of what it means to be a person who lives on this planet. It's a beautiful poem. Wind and waste, says the teacher, wind and waste. It's all wind. What does anyone get from all their work, all their work under the sun? People come and people go, and the world stays the same. The sun rises, the sun sets, then rushes round the world just to rise again. Winds go south and winds turn north, turning, turning, just to turn again. Every river runs to the sea, the never full sea, the rivers return just to run again. These words are too weary to say. No eyeful, no earful is ever enough. Once, what once was will be again. What's been done will be done again. Time 
and time and time again. No one remembers the past. And after this, no one will remember after this. This is actually a translation that one of my students did yesterday for me, because I asked her to, uh, of Ecclesiastes 1. And um, it's this picture, if you look really closely, you'll see sort of two images. I think the predominant image is one um, of the smallness of the importance of man. You know, it's, it's wind, life is something you can't quite catch, something you don't really get to contribute much to in the grand scheme of things. The sun's gonna go around and round and round the earth, and the wind's gonna go in paths that it always goes. It's gonna blow back and forth, and you never really run out of wind, do we, Portland? <laughs> And the rivers are going to flow, but somehow, even though they all flow into the sea, the sea never fills all the way up. And the water just works its way back, and then it flows down again, over and over and over. And it has that image that sort of reminds us how small we are, but in a hmm, kind of double-sided way a way that doesn't just make us feel small and comforted, but also a little bit small and useless. Like, what, what difference can we make? And it's that sort of dichotomy, that sort of mix between um, there is something steady that you can count on, and it's the thing that's holding the world steady, rather than just the world, just a hint. But there's also this awareness that we're really small. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is taking an honest look of um, what's going on in the world. And surprisingly, you read the book and it can sound just like what goes on today. And it's taking an honest look about what it means to recognize all of those things that I was describing at the beginning that I think help identify what we're all experiencing when we hear news like we heard on Tuesday. I actually heard it on Wednesday. Tuesday I was in a faculty retreat all day long. <laughs> and I was tired and I was done and I didn't want to do this anymore and I was so relieved it was over and Wednesday morning in a conversation I heard what happened on Tuesday. And for me, hearing about a school shooting of children. And I just, I wonder if that will stick as firmly in my mind, even though my mind's a little numb, as 9-11 does. It was just like, why? What can I do? What's wrong with the world? Will it ever get any better? What's God doing about it? How did he let this happen? What's he thinking? And we can so easily start down those, 
those paths, and those are human, and those are okay paths, and the reason I know that is because there is an entire book of the Bible that addresses that state of mind. In fact, Ecclesiastes is gonna go on to say things, it's gonna describe um, someone who looks in the place of judgment, like, yeah, where, where are the people that should help and make things right, and instead you're gonna find wickedness there. Uh, that's not what we want. You're gonna look for justice, and there's wickedness there, too. Ecclesiastes is written from the voice of the greatest, wealthiest, wisest king that Israel ever had. And it finishes right after the king writes an entire chapter about how he, he built these lavish lands and he held nothing back and he did everything he wanted to do to find satisfaction. He's gonna start the very next chapter and say, but I looked out and I saw oppression. And I saw the tears of those being oppressed. And there's nothing I can do. There's some, he doesn't say that, but he's similar feeling. He says, and there's no one to comfort them. And the oppressors have all the power. That's what it says. And there's no one to comfort them. And he's the king with all the wealth and all the wisdom and all the power, and his has a limit. And he's got to wrestle through that in this book. What does that look like? And he wrestles in the book, hey, what if you're, what if you're wise and righteous? Shouldn't it go well for us? And yet you look and you find out that the wise person is over here sitting in the dirt while this fool parades his horse down the street riding on its back. That's upside down and backwards. That's not how this world is supposed to work. He has an entire chapter where he talks about you'll work really hard and you'll dig this pit and then you'll fall into the pit accidentally. Like, hold on. That's not the way the world's supposed to work. You're supposed to work really hard and get ahead. But it doesn't always work that way. Or you'll be, you have to forgive some of the images because some of their tools weren't like as cool as my husband's new chainsaw. So they'll be out working with their ax and they'll be working so hard that they dull the ax and then they hurt themselves because the ax is dull. And you think, well, duh, sharpen the axe. Okay, so you work harder and smarter. And then you hurt yourself deeper because the axe was sharper. You know, it's just, it's like everything that's wrong in the world where you expect, right, there's this passage I felt like I was reading from today's, um, hold on, where did I write it down? It's so good. Uh, I, I don't need it written down, it's in chapter 10. It says, there's an evil I've seen under the sun, an error that arises from a ruler. And you're like, what? What it's saying is the person who's supposed to protect harms you. We've seen those. 
illustrations. And he says, this isn't right. This isn't right. So what are we supposed to do about it? Well, part of the problem in the book is that How do I say this? Ecclesiastes says it better, but I'm going to give it a try. It matters what you do, but it doesn't matter what you do. Does that make sense? Not if you're thinking of it as a sermon, but if you're thinking at it, of it as real life. So you have to shift out of the sermon mode and think of it as real life. Like, yes, it matters what you do. Make wise choices. But I've already told you, wise choices don't always work, do they? Do they? Do wise choices always work for any one of you, anywhere? Because I want you to be my best friend. I want to be near you all the time. They don't. What about hard work? Does hard work always work? Come on, anyone? I'm looking for hope. I don't even need answers. I'm just looking for someone to volunteer that it works for them that way. Because, man, that's what I would like. Or righteous. This book actually says, don't be overly righteous. You can do all the right things. You could. I couldn't. I make mistakes all the time. But hypothetically, you could do all the right things, right and righteous, and it's still life. It still gets messy. Now, I might be dwelling on that for a really long time. You're all going, I came in here knowing this. <laughs> well, the book talks about it for an entire book. And I love its honesty because it doesn't try to just fix it and promise you something bigger. In fact, it tells you in its own, you have to dig for it and think about it and wrestle with it kind of way, that our security, the thing that combats all those things that we're feeling, well, I'm feeling, except for when I'm feeling numb and then I'm not feeling, this week, is the simple truth that we are very small and that in some ways there isn't anything we can do. Now remember, it's Ecclesiastes, so like me, he's going to speak in hyperbole. I just told you, it still is good to work hard and make better choices, right? But if I woke up today and said, look, I've had enough, that is the last shooting in the United States. Just pat it to here. Well, didn't we all wake up feeling that way? <laughs> sure. But like the king of Israel, I look out and what can I do? And repeatedly throughout the book, the author reminds us that we are part of something so much larger and grander and more horrific even than ourselves. And 
in a way, now he says this in a very specific way at the end, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. He basically just says, trust me. Okay. <laughs> but in the meantime, all the way through, he says, do you have food? Good, then eat that. Do you have something to drink? I'm not Southern Baptist anymore, so I think that's a good something. <laughs> okay. Drink some of that. Do you have a place to rest? Good. Remember that those things are a gift from God and that he gives those things to you. Okay. Celebrate and rejoice when you're able to those things. And then he says, but when things are bad... Remember that God's still in charge. In our culture, that's terrifying to say from the front. Because the risk is that God takes all the blame. Apparently, that's a risk God is willing to take. Because he takes it. And he says, but what I need you to know is I'm still in charge. There's this crazy section of verses right, oops, don't do that, right in chapter 3 that I love that I think summarizes sort of the message that God's giving here. He says, uh, you know that famous song, I will not sing it, that is your Memorial Day gift from me. But um, there's a time for this and a time for that, a time to dance, a time to mourn, a time to, yeah. And then right after that section, he says that he has placed eternity in the hearts of man. Like, we have an awareness enough of what's going on over a thousand miles away to grieve and hurt righteously this much. And we have an awareness that we are at a certain spot in history where many, many, many have faced things like this before us. In fact, I told you I was watching comedy shows on Netflix lately. Mm-hmm, sorry. And uh, one of them started, and it was from a couple years ago, and they, I was watching it like two days ago, and uh, he started and he said, okay, in light of the recent school shooting, and I'm like, wait, what? Oh yeah, there was one then too. We're just aware that we're part of a piece of history and we're just one piece in it and we're aware that there's tons more that's gonna happen. We just don't know what it is. So he places that awareness, he places eternity in our hearts, but he doesn't reveal things about what's coming to us. We don't know what it is, we can't decipher it. And he says in that section that he does that so that we trust him. Because if we're not holding on to it, we can, well, it's not an either or. Sometimes we despair and we trust. I know, I'm human too, I do. But the truth is that God is holding on to it. And he asks us to trust him with that. The message of the book of Ecclesiastes is one that's done in tons of images. And so I'm gonna pick an image. I've, I've already told you like 
what it says and, and, and what you're supposed to get out of it, but it still, I think, feels evasive. I, you know, I'm trying to find words. Okay, you come in, to, where, where are we all when we start? We're kind of uncertain and maybe grieving. Where are we when we leave? Uh, we can't do anything about it. <laughs> no, not just that, but with the awareness that God sees it and that he names it and then he talks about it and that he reminds us that he knows that it is this way. And we just have to trust him. But I want to kind of wrap things up by giving an illustration, an image as well. Uh, there's this book, most people have probably even heard of it, it's called The Hiding Place and it's by Corey Ten Boom. And um, gosh, we've read that book in my home so many times. And there's this illustration that she gives about one of the, the, um, the things her father did to teach her. So she and her father used to take this regular trip in, he was a watchmaker, a clockmaker, and they used to make this regular trip in to set all his clocks by the big standard clock. And they'd have to take the train and she'd go with him and he'd have his clock suitcase. I don't, I don't know what it was. It was just a suitcase full of clocks that he would set. And um, <clears throat> Corey got to go with him frequently on the trips. And one of the, these trips, um, she started asking him some really tough questions about life. Questions that he wasn't sure she was old enough to have to deal with yet. And instead of answering her, he said, Corey, can you carry my suitcase onto the train for me? And she struggles to pick it up and she's like, no, I can't. It's, it's too big. It's too heavy. I, I can't. And he says, some things in life are like that. They're too heavy for you. So I'm going to carry them until you're ready. And I firmly believe that the author of Ecclesiastes, had he known that illustration, would have put that one in there. Like, yeah. Some of these things are just too heavy. They're just too big. And I know when I will be big and strong enough to carry that suitcase. It won't be this side of heaven. Not for some of these things. It just won't be. And God says, but can you trust me to carry it? And then he gives us this promise. And the reason I didn't start with this one is because our culture doesn't like this one a ton. But he gives us this promise that he will take all things, I'm going to phrase it the way we can handle it, and he'll deal with them in his time. Now, the scripture calls that judgment. We don't like judgment unless... It's going the other way, <laughs> so we get a little uncomfortable with it. But what Ecclesiastes says right at the end of the book, it says, after you know, you've read all of this, it says, now everything's been heard. Here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's, you've heard that saying, you've got one job? You've got one job. Fear God and obey him. 
If you read the Bible carefully, this may or may not fly well. It doesn't have that many commandments, especially if you read the book of Ecclesiastes where he's telling you over and over again, like, enjoy your youth. Just remember, a couple things we don't do, <laughs> but enjoy. Like, real Bible commandments. Can I say this? Not churchy made-up commandments? Okay. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. That's God's version of, I've got this suitcase, and I will carry it for you. I'm going to return. I, I stutter because I can't tell you how much comfort that brings until you put it into practice. And if there's one thing we need right now as Christian educators, parents, teenagers, and young people who are growing up and inheriting this world from us, it's comfort. And it also gives us the freedom then to re-engage, knowing that we're kind of small and can't always make a huge difference. But God already knows that, and yet he invites us to participate in his work anyway. I started this by telling you that this was Ascension Sunday, which I didn't even know exactly what that was because it's not common language for us. Um, it's the day that Jesus said goodbye to his disciples after he rose from heaven or rose from the dead and said, "I'm going back to my Father, and next time you see me, I'm I'm coming back for you." There's something about a trump. It's New Testament stuff, but it's really exciting. <laughs> He's coming back. We're living for that day. We know the end of the story from the beginning. What Phil did this morning is entirely appropriate to lament. Anger, appropriate. My numbness, apparently appropriate. Feeling small, appropriate. It's okay. But understanding that God holds it in a much bigger plan and looks down at how small we are and says, hey, how about I'll carry the suitcase and you just put your hand on mine and walk with me. Come on. Come help in the church nursery. Love some babies for a while. By the way, I think every woman my age should go hold babies. It's the best thing ever. And other moms did that for me when I was young and tired. There's my plug. But then he says, but I'm doing the real work and I've gone home and I'm preparing a place for you and I will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. And we can trust him in that. Today as we take communion, I hope you can look at the whole picture of the story of the goodness of God. I hope you're able to take a good, hard look at the yuck. This world is 
tough. It's really tough. And yet, God claims us and calls us his own and literally gave his life for us and then raced back to the Father to make a place for us. So that in the end, when he handles all of this gross, we can sit in peace and celebrate with him. And it's right to long for that. I believe communion is now, is it still in the little disposables? Sorry, I didn't like those. Communion is at the side tables. And as the band plays and as you're praying and, and just remembering the grandeur of the plan of God and just the grandeur of who God is, we welcome you to work your way to the side and take communion. <laughs>